Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it is a pleasure to be with you today. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you know we've been talking a lot about work and the 90,000 hours the average person spends throughout their lifetime at work. And Zach has done a fantastic job at reminding us that what we do for work really matters and that how we work has the ability to reflect the image of God to those around us. Now, if you remember, though, in the first week of this series, we went through all the ways we spend our time and how much time we spend doing those average tasks. And we listed a bunch of common things that we spend time doing. Some of you might remember, and I'm curious how those after-church conversations went. Did you ever figure out, are you ahead of the curve or behind the curve? All right, I'll let, I'll let you keep talking about that. But the average human life is 622,000 hours long. We spend about 228,000 of that sleeping, which leaves us 394,000 hours of awake time. And how we spend all of those hours really matters. We spend 90,000 of them at work, but what do we do with the rest? And how does what we do at work transfer into everything else we do? And what about this idea that God might actually be asking us to spend all 394,000 hours working? Now, before you think I've lost my mind, hear me out. As followers of Jesus, we have the responsibility to work like Jesus worked in everything we do. We don't get off time when it comes to following Jesus. This means when we eat, when we exercise, when we laugh, when we spend time with friends or family, and even at work, we're called to work like Jesus worked. So this morning, I want us to take a look at just exactly what it meant for Jesus to work and how that translates to us in 2021. So no matter how you spend those professional hours, what about the rest? And I think in order for for us to do that, we need to look at a passage in Scripture that a lot of Bible scholars call Jesus' mission statement. And that is in Luke chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead, pull them out, open them up. Uh, Luke, if you've got a paper Bible, just open about two-thirds of the way through. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four books we call Gospels. And they tell us about Jesus' life and ministry and the time he spent here on earth in our world. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's been kind of in the desert at an alone time with God, and he's come back in from that time, and he's ready to, to kind of reveal himself and to show us what he has for us. So as you open your Bibles and we get ready to read, if you miss everything else I say today, take a nap, stare off the screen, don't miss this. Working like Jesus worked is the daily responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus. Working like Jesus worked is the daily responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14, and see what I mean. When Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, 
He went as usual, usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendants, sat down, and all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Now there's a lot going on in this passage. Jesus is coming back, but he's not just coming and publicly proclaiming his ministry. He's doing it in his boyhood home, where he grew up, where everybody knew him, where they might look at him and say, isn't that Joseph's son, the carpenter down the street? But he makes a very powerful statement about what kind of work they can expect from him moving forward. And so working like Jesus works for us today means bringing hope to places of hopelessness. Don't miss what Jesus says. I came that good news will be proclaimed to the poor, that release for the captives, that healing for the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. The gospel that Jesus was coming to proclaim, the message of truth that Jesus would embody in word and deed, has the power to do all of those things. And that's the same gospel that we proclaim today. Good news for the poor, not just the financially poor, but the poor in heart, the humble, those who have been pushed down or marginalized by society. Release for the captives. People held captive to sin or in addictions or even in Jesus' day, demon possession, which we just don't talk a whole lot about in the church in America, but it's a real thing that pushes people down and holds them captive. Jesus says, I've come to set you free. Healing for the blind, not just physical healing, not just those who were crippled and lame and needed physical healing, but Jesus had come to bring light and life to those who he encountered. And lastly, he says, freedom to the oppressed. Those on the margins, those pushed down, those cast aside, those everybody else looked at as worthless, economically oppressed, physically oppressed, politically oppressed, demonically oppressed. Jesus came to say freedom. You can be free from your oppressor, free from all of this. And these are the four things that if you read the Gospel of Luke, and I would challenge you to do that over the next week or two weeks, take a look at Luke and see what Jesus does. But let me give you just a few snapshots. When it comes to oppression or to those who are captive, Jesus cast demons out of people in Luke 4, in Luke 8, and in Luke 9. Jesus heals all all kinds of people all throughout the gospel, paralyzed, those with high fevers, lepers who were an outcast of society. He even forms a man with a, heals a man who was born with a deformed hand. Maybe the ultimate act of healing for Jesus is Luke chapter 7 when he raises a widow's son from the dead. The funeral is walking by Jesus and he says, wait, stop. And he tells this boy to get up and brings him back to life. 
Jesus calls those on the outside. He spends time with those who nobody else is going to spend time with. In Luke chapter 5, he calls the disciples. The disciples, we look at and we go, these guys were the closest guys to Jesus. They had to be great, right? Well, the truth is, none of the other rabbis wanted the disciples to follow them. So they're back at their dad's business fishing because nobody else wants them. They're the B team. They're the team that nobody else wanted. And Jesus comes and says, I want you to come follow me. Shortly after that, he calls Matthew a tax collector. Maybe some of the most despised people in all of Jesus' time because of the way they treated people. Jesus says, I want you to come and be one of my disciples. Then there's this story in Luke 7 where a woman reaches out and touches Jesus and Jesus feels power leave his body. And he says, who touched me? And this woman comes trembling. She's been isolated for 12 years because she's bleeding and she's ceremonially unclean and nobody can be around her. And Jesus, in the power of his word, says, you're healed. And the bleeding immediately stops. And maybe one of my favorite stories this is the time that Jesus is walking by and Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man up in the sycamore tree, he sees Jesus walking by and Jesus calls him by name and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today to have lunch. In doing this, multiple times throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus breaks all the rules that the religious leaders of his day had set in place. He does the things that were never to be done. He makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable as he says, I don't care. This person is more important than not working on the Sabbath. And so I'm going to heal them. He challenged the rules and the structures that the religious leaders of his day held close to. But he did it in order to bring hope to people, people who were without hope, people who wondered if they would ever be healthy, if there would ever be a chance for them. One Bible commentator says this, because the gospel is not primarily a commitment to change society, but hearts. Yet when hearts are changed, compassion emerges and society is changed. Jesus communicated this sense of redemption to notorious sinners who stood in dire need of help. His relating to people's pain and his ability to feel that had much to do with it. People not only heard his message of repentance and forgiveness and release and fulfillment of promise, but they saw in the eyes of Jesus compassion and care for those he encountered. In the cries for help and throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus hears the cry of those who are hurting, those who are broken, those who have been cast aside, and he shows up in the midst of that, and he responds. So what's this look like for you and I in 2021? I don't know where you've been in the last couple weeks emotionally or how things have been hitting you, Maybe you've been right where I am, asking a lot of questions, wondering where God's at in the midst of the things going on all around us. Maybe you've been wondering, maybe you've been crying, maybe you've been screaming out in anger. Or maybe like me, you've been asking a lot of questions. Saying, God, where are you? And what are we supposed to do? God, why is all this happening and how will it end? 
When will the things around us stop? The question I've been asking this week is, what is so broken in our society and in our lives that an 11-year-old boy at Plymouth Middle School would think that the best option for his life is suicide by cop. That he would take a gun to the school, discharge it into the ceiling, and believe that that would end his pain and his suffering. 11 years old. Church, that should break our hearts. And it's in our community. It's in our school district. It's less than a mile and a half from my house. It leaves me with more questions than I have answers. How do we comfort and provide space for the other kids? Those who are in the hallway, the innocent bystanders who just went to school to learn that day. How do we help them heal? How do we help them express their fears and share their hurts? For me personally, it's been what's going on in my life that I'm not, how am I contributing to these things that we see around us? What do I need to confess to God? And say, I'm sorry for this that lives in my heart that I didn't even know was there. How do I keep my kids from feeling the same way? How do I help my two boys grow? How do I raise them to be people who love Jesus and then love all of those around them, regardless of their race, their gender, their socioeconomic background, but they would show the love of Jesus that they've experienced in their life back to those kids around them who need to see that? What's my role as a dad in that? I don't know where you've been, but my prayer's been something along the lines of, God, can you show me? what I can be doing to speak life and hope into the hopelessness of our culture, into the lives of my friends and my family and my kids and their friends. In the midst of our fears and frustrations, in the midst of my crying out, in the midst of what feels hopeless at times, I have found comfort. And God has provided hope again for me through the truth of the Psalms. Now, if you know me or you've been around very long, you know that I love the Psalms. But Psalm 46 in particular has spoken truth to me over the last couple of weeks. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, when the mountains crumble into the sea, let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble and the waters surge. For the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. The psalmist continues, be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Do you believe that? In the midst of our deepest fear and our deepest pain and our deepest lack of hope, do we believe that God is here? That's exactly what Jesus believed. 
It's what he proclaimed. And as followers of Jesus, our responsibility has never been to have all the answers. Our responsibility has never been to be strong when life is hard. God never once asked us to go through this life alone or do it in our own strength. However, the words of the psalmist point us back to that hope that is beyond ourselves and that is ultimately found in Jesus. So church, today if you feel burdened, know that there is a God who made his work to show up in the midst of our pain and offer hope that can only be found in the cross. That's the work of Jesus, to show up in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our hopelessness and offer hope. And maybe the way that he will show up in the life of those he loves, in the life of those that we love, is by calling us to go and do the same work of Jesus. To show up for our neighbor, our coworker, our friend, and by listening, be able to offer hope to their situation. Who do you need to reach out to today? Heavy on my heart have been school teachers and administrators this week. Maybe in your kid's school or my kid's school or the neighborhood school in which we live. Have we reached out to any of them and said, hey, you know, I'm just praying for you. You need a tutor? You need somebody to come in and help your kids, somebody to read or help them with math? I'm here. I would love to come and help and support you and thank you for what you're doing. Maybe we need to show up with a fully cooked, fully paid for dinner to a friend who just needs one less thing to do tonight and say, hey, I was thinking about you today. Brought you dinner. Or maybe we need to get coffee and simply listen to and help by bearing the burden of someone else. Not by speaking, but by listening to bear that burden. See, the gospel calls us to be ready to work, I think, 394,000 hours in our lifetime like Jesus did if that's what it takes for one more person to hear the life-changing power of the gospel. However, we don't have to do this on our own. Not even Jesus did that. God is our strength, and we need to get, we need to get through. He's our help. He is calling us to rest in his presence, to quiet our hearts and minds, enough to hear him speak. The psalmist knows this. The one who wrote that psalm knows this when he says, Be still. And his heart cries out, the Lord of heaven's armies is here. Jesus experienced that reality every day on earth. And if we're going to work like Jesus worked, we have to learn this truth as well. And so working like Jesus worked means working in the Spirit's power. Not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that in the first verse we read today in Luke chapter 4, verse 14? Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. The work of Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, isn't done by himself. It's done as he stays connected to the Father and the Holy Spirit works through him to be what those people in hopeless situations needed him to be. And so we need the exact same thing. And so how do we tap into that? How do we tap into the Spirit's power? 
I think Jesus sets a clear example for us all through the Gospel of Luke. There are about eight or ten times that we see passages like this, but I want to read a few of them to you this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 says, Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. We can assume in that isolated place he went to talk to the Father. He went to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can assume that because of all the other times we see it. Luke 5, 16, but then Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Not occasionally, not when it was convenient, not when it was easy, not when he had nothing else to do. Often, Jesus went to pray. Luke 6, 12, one day soon after Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. Luke 11, 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And again, these are just a few of the times that Jesus pulls away to pray. But every time he did this, every time he pulled away, he seems to come back and perform miracles, make big decisions, had conversations with people that changed their life. We're talking about Jesus, the one who created the universe in which we live. If he needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? We need to carve out time to be still and to be quiet before God to cry out to him in prayer and then to open up the Bible and to read it, not for knowledge, not just for knowledge, but so that we can be reminded of the character and nature of the God who loves us. So that as friends come to us in these hopeless situations, and before we offer advice, we, li- we filter that advice through the truth of Scripture before we speak, and we allow God to change them and to change our words so that our advice is based on His word and based in love. And in doing all of this, we understand that working like Jesus worked is about bringing God's kingdom here. Why is it our daily responsibility to follow Jesus, to work like Jesus worked? Jesus' response in Luke chapter 4 is because the time of the Lord's favor has come. Sounds super clear to me, right? I'm sure it sounds clear to you. What does he mean the time of the Lord's favor has come? Jesus is actually reflecting back on something that's called the year of Jubilee. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, God gets the bad rap in the Old Testament. He's the mean, wrathful God who's just looking to punish everybody, right? But passages like Leviticus chapter 25 teach us that God is a God of hope. That God made plans for hope. And so in this year of Jubilee, once every 50 years, the Israelites, all their debts are forgiven. They get all the land that they originally owned that God gave them when they entered the the promised land. All that land goes back to its original owners. If you're in debt and you're working to pay that off as a servant or a slave, you were set free. Now imagine that today, right? Your biggest debt, gone. No mortgage. No student loans. And a year of no work because God's going to provide. What would you do in that year? I know what I would do. 
I would get my family, we would pack up, and we would go to New Zealand. And I'm going to live in a hobbit hole for a year, and I'm going to eat second breakfast every day, and it's going to be amazing. But Jesus says, my jubilee, the jubilee I'm here to inaugurate, is even better than hobbit holes in New Zealand and second breakfast. And Jesus takes it to that next level when at the end of the passage we read today, Luke 4.21, he says, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled in me this very day. Jesus is declaring the prophecy that he quoted from Isaiah has been fulfilled in him. That the year of Jubilee isn't a one-year thing, but it is the inauguration of God's kingdom. And it is all of the guaranteed promises that God made for his people and for us are fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the hope that we cling to and have the incredible privilege and responsibility to invite others into. The gospel is not only about where I will spend eternity. The gospel is about how can I invite other people to live today in God's kingdom. We pray it all the time, right? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. Through me. Through my relationships. Through the ways that I work for you to bring hope, to bring comfort, to bring peace to those who need it. in this place on earth, as it is in heaven. When we work like Jesus worked, we bring a piece of God's kingdom into our lives, into our world, and we get the opportunity to point people to the eternal hope and the unmerited love that we've experienced in Jesus on the cross. This is what Jesus did for us. When he went to the cross and he took our sins and he wiped it all clean, and he said, you're forgiven. And he proved that we were forgiven and he guaranteed that when three days later he walked out of the tomb alive. Working like Jesus worked is the daily responsibility of everyone who follows Jesus. We do this by bringing hope to places of hopelessness, by working in the Spirit's power, and by bringing God's kingdom to this place. Church, the world we live in needs to hear the hope of the gospel. They need those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to show up. We don't have to have the answer. We've got to show up and be present and bring the light of Jesus and the love of Jesus into their lives. How will we spend our 394,000 waking hours working like Jesus to bring hope to a world that can't feel it? Maybe you need to just show up in the life of a friend. Maybe you need to bring food to someone in need. Maybe you need to go serve at a local food shelf or food pantry. Maybe you need to speak scriptural truth into someone's life with love to help them get up back on their feet and moving in the right direction again. Maybe you need to just stop and pray and invite the Spirit to work through you. My challenge for you today, church, is how will you complete this sentence? 
this week, I will bring hope to blank's life by doing blank. This week, I will bring hope to whose life? Who's God calling you to bring hope to? By doing blank. And what are you going to do to show the hope of Jesus and the love of Jesus that you've received? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the hope that you provided. We thank you that you didn't come for people who have it all put together. You didn't come for people who don't have any problems or have fixed their life or pulled themselves up. You came for those of us who are broken, who have questions, who don't have answers, who are hurting. And then you called us to go and do the same for those around us. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, who empowers us in ways that we sometimes don't even understand and through situations that we never thought we'd be in, but who gives us peace to get through. And God, I pray that all of that would make us ambassadors for you. People who go and share your love and the hope that we have. We don't hold on to it ourselves, but we give it away so that more people can experience what it means to live in your kingdom. God, use us for your glory and your kingdom. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.